rising above the temptations of life, next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Well, today and tomorrow on Abounding Grace, we'll be putting the finishing touches on our study of 2 Kings. As we do, we'll explore the final judgment that God brings to Judah. We've all done things that we would later regret, and sometimes we feel the consequences of those decisions for many years. Often, that's just what God uses to get our attention, right? Here's Pastor Ed Taylor in 2 Kings chapter 25. You know, it's been almost, if you look at your calendar, it's been almost five years since we opened the Bible to the first chapter of 1 Samuel. When we started on this journey, and we were going through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. Originally, I thought we were going to go through and just finish out 1 and 2 Chronicles. We'll get back there soon enough. But it's been just about five years. And I, this is one of the sections of the Bible when I studied it through the first time with Pastor Suck Smith on his cassette tapes that really opened my eyes in the depth of the history of the nation of Israel and opened my eyes on how God uses us and what he wants to accomplish and, and just the life of David, the life of Solomon, Elijah, Elisha, all the kings, Judah, Israel. It was such a rich study now for the very first time to study it and deliver it myself. And we find that the nation of Israel has been a life uh, many years of ups and downs, not unlike your life and mine. And it's worth saying again and repeating that the Old Testament is a very important part of the Bible. And I know some real popular teachers that have a lot of influence. You're hearing it more and more depending on, on what, what you're listening to or what might be shown. But there's some guys now, you know, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. We don't need to study the Old Testament. You might even find people just emphasizing we're new covenant believers, new covenant believers. Let me just remind you, we're new covenant believers. There is no new covenant without the old covenant. There's no meaning to the new covenant. There's no understanding of who Messiah is and all the prophecies and predictions. There's no context when you open up the book of Matthew and say, well, who are these people? What is this nation? What is the significance of these genealogies? Without the Old Testament, the New Testament doesn't really mean anything, doesn't have significance. Now, now I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit couldn't use the book of John by itself or all the Bibles inspired by God. But we need to study through the Old Testament. You need to read through the Old Testament, as difficult as it might be. Of course, you're reading through the Bible right now, and you're in the book of Exodus. Exodus is an easier book in the Old Testament. Wait till you get to Leviticus. That's when people say, oh, I don't know. And, and I just remind you, as you're reading it, don't read so much to understand every single thing you read. 
When you get to something you don't understand, maybe have a notebook and jot it down and just move on and ask a question. Look it up on blueletterbible.org. Maybe there's a question to be in. But don't be discouraged when you're reading the Bible and you don't understand everything. There's a lot in the Bible that after almost 30 years of studying it, I don't understand and that I wrestle with. And you know what that does? It causes me to cry out to God more. And it reminds me, as we need to be reminded from time to time, we're not God. And so we have much to learn, or we have a lot to grow in, our gra- in, in the grace and knowledge of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not knowing something, not understanding something also does a blow to our pride and our arrogance, because the opposite happens. The longer you read the Bible, the longer you study the Bible, the more you know, and the more you know, there's an automatic result if you're not walking in humility, that you just become an arrogant person. You just think you know it all. You think you know it all. You think you can do better. You think you're better than someone. And God will have none of that. Jesus came to serve. He came as a, as a humble man, God in human flesh. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, knowledge puffs up, but it's love that edifies. And we need the Old Testament. We need to read through it. Jot it down in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. It says... For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. What are the things written before Romans? The Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, the Proverbs. Whatever was written before were written for our learning. That we through the patience and the comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Jot this down, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is for anyone that would tell you that there's no need for the Old Testament today. Just focus on the New Testament. We're New Testament Christians. Yes, we're, we're New Covenant believers. You bet. We believe in the grace of God. Absolutely. You'll never truly come to a full understanding of the New Testament until you understand the Old Testament. I mean, really, even those of you that study the book of Revelation, you know that all the types, meanings, and pictures, and metaphors are explained to us in the Old Testament. That's where they're rooted. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, it says, all these things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the time when this age is drawing to a close. If you're thinking you're standing strong, be careful, for you too may fall into the same sin. All these things happen to them as examples. They're, the Old Testament is examples to us, and we learn from them. Far from being irrelevant and boring, the Old Testament gives us insights on life and God's dealings with man. Too many discount the Old Testament when it's incredibly practical. When you think of it, when it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, where do you think the apostles got their doctrine from? The Old Testament. They, when they were studying the scriptures, that's all they had at the time. And then they would, of course, add the teachings of Jesus. Then the teachings of Jesus would be written down, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Then Paul would come along. Then James would come along. Then Peter would come along. But when the early church got together, they were studying the fulfillment of the Old Testament as Jesus taught. And that was the foundation. The early church became strong and vibrant in a large part to the studying of the Old Testament. When you read the scriptures, when you study them, whether it's in the old or the new, it's important that you read looking for the examples that will teach us important lessons. Paul's telling us not to miss the examples, not to just gloss over them. It's been said, experience is the best teacher. 
And I have to say that that's true. There's truth to that. Experience is a great teacher, but it doesn't have to be your experience. So, for example, when you're raising your kids, you know, you share your testimony with them at an age-appropriate level because you want them to learn from your example. You do not want them. I'm pretty sure, parents, you would agree with this. You don't want your kids to make the same mistakes you made. Yes or no? Of course. You don't want them going down that path. And so at an age-appropriate level, you're sharing with them. No, man, don't do it. Trust me. Don't do it. Yeah, but why not? Dad, just trust me. Pain and sorrow await you. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. And my experience will tell you the Bible is true. You don't need my experience, but God, you, God put you in my house with my experience. So trust me, you don't want to go down that path. And that's what a pastor will do. Say, this is what the Bible says. Just obey the Bible. Well, I don't know, you know, maybe the Bible is so irrelevant. Okay, well, I lived a life disobedient to that. So trust me, it's a painful process. The wages of sin is always death. Death to relationships, death to situations. People lose their jobs because of sin. People lose their integrity because of sin. People lose their friendships, lose their marriages. The rages of sin is always death. That's what the Bible says. Yeah, but I don't know. Well, trust me, I've lived it. My experience can warn you. Don't go that way. Trust me. And then you might even say, well, you turned out okay. Man, first of all, I didn't turn out okay. God is still working in my life. And I still have consequences from my past sin. Still. To this day. And when I say trust me, I'm not just some guy pounding a pulpit up here. I'm telling you, experience will teach you. And it doesn't have to be your experience. You don't have to say, well, I'll test it out and I'll tell you, Ed. Well, you can choose to do that, but I'll tell you already what you're going to tell me. You're going to regret it. It's going to be a painful road. You won't get away with it. The consequences may be different for you, but you won't get away with it. It's been said that experience is the best teacher, but it doesn't have to be your experience. Our Father is so good to us that He let other people learn lessons so that we could gain understanding from studying their lives. So when we open up to chapter 25 here and we see Zedekiah or at the end Jehoiachin, these were real men. This is not a book of fairy tales. These were real men living real lives, worshiping a real God. And as we go back to the beginning, you know, First Kings, the, when we started in our study in First Kings, the kingdom of God, the nation of Israel was one. It was united. King Solomon was David's son, and he was ruling a united kingdom. It was the strongest, the, the epitome of the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel was strongest under Solomon's rule. Yet by the time we finished 1 Kings, the kingdom was divided and ruled over by two wicked kings. Divided into two sections, the northern part of Israel or the northern part of the nation made up of 10 tribes was known as Israel. They had about 19 kings and none of them were good. Now, the southern kingdom were made up of two tribes, the known as the kingdom of Judah. They had 20 kings, depending on how you count them, and they had eight good ones. But the end of the history is that Assyria comes and scatters Israel in 726 BC, and we see the downfall finally of Judah here in the last chapter of 2 Kings as Nebuchadnezzar comes in and finally wipes out the city, wipes out the country, and takes captive the final people back to Babylon. 
Yet with the nation of Israel as divided as it was, there's good news but according, because according to other passages, including Ezekiel 37, there would be a united Israel. And on May 14, 1948, Israel is currently in this moment as we're breathing, occupying their land. Not divided tribes, but as one people, as the faithfulness of God fulfills prophecy. And literally, people, Jewish people are still returning home as I speak. God is doing the work that he promised. So now let's find this final judgment that God brings to Judah. Because let me just say this. Some of you are under great stress right now. Some of you are under a heavy hand of, of consequence. Some of you are experiencing the consequences of past decisions. And, and let me suggest to you from chapter 25 that sometimes that's just what you need for God to get your attention. You didn't respond to anything else. You didn't respond to the prophets, the messengers that God sent into your life. You didn't respond to the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit for you as believers. You didn't respond to the little consequences that came along the way. You didn't respond to the fact that you made that mistake before and you already know. You, you time, and just like the nation of Judah, constantly, even having good seasons, you know, sometimes you misinterpret, well, I'm in a good season right now, but you never really did resolve that issue. It's still unresolved. It's not just gonna go away. You, you can choose to forget it and hide it and press it out of your mind, but it's not going to go away. Things need to be resolved in the Lord with repentance and godly sorrow, and then things just grow when they're not taken care of, not paid attention to. And like Judah, it's just like, okay, you're not going to turn from your idolatry. You're going to follow wicked kings again. Okay, that's it. That's, it's over. You're going to be taken captive, just like I predicted would happen. So notice with me in verse 1 now. Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and camped against it, and they built a siege wall against it all around. So the city was besieged until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month of the famine had become so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city, verse 4, the city wall was broken through, and all the men of war fled at night by the way of the gate between two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around against the city. And the king went by the way of the plain. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king, and they overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king, brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, put out the eyes of Zedekiah, bound him with bronze fetters, and took him to Babylon. So as Jerusalem is surrounded, there's a fear that grips the people, and a famine takes place. Food becomes scarce, and the end is near. They're beginning to lose everything that they trusted in, their own strength and the resources that were there. King Zedekiah is captured, and he's brought to Babylon. Now, this is an interesting, this, this verse with King Zedekiah here is a very interesting verse that I want to draw out for you because you will meet people as you talk to them and you're building the bridge of evangelism with them and you're talking to them about life. You're talking to them about the absolute source that you use as the final word of authority in your life, the Bible. And no doubt there will be people that say, well, you know, the Bible's filled with contradictions. And if they study a little bit, they might show you a perceived contradiction. 
When it comes to King Zedekiah here, this is one of the places that they might show you. But I want to teach you, write this down. Because the next time somebody shows you a, a con, some house, oh, it's full of contradictions, you can answer this way. Really? Let me show you a contradiction. And pull this out. And you can use the word suppose it because it's not a contradiction at all. But when you read it, it seems that way. So I'm going to just jot them down and I'll read you these two verses, okay? The first one is in Jeremiah chapter 34, verse 3. And this is what somebody would do. You know, if they're all set up for you, they'd find some, some verse like this one. It says in Jeremiah 34, by the way, Jeremiah's prophesying during this time. So Jeremiah's book, the book of Jeremiah is overlapping with 2 Kings at this time. They're happening at the same time chronologically. So Jeremiah says this, And you shall not escape from his hand, but shall surely be taken and delivered into his hands. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon. He shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. So what does that tell us? Zedekiah is going to Babylon, going to see the king with his eyes, Right? Jot this down. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 13. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 13. I will also spread my net. This is my net. This is God speaking through Ezekiel. I will also spread my net over him. He shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. Interesting. So you have a situation here where there is a perceived contradiction. How is it possible that he can see and not see at the same time? And this is all referring to King Zedekiah. By the time we come to King Zedekiah, it happens in his life that he's captured as he's fleeing Jerusalem and he was brought before the king in Judah. So notice again, it says in verse 5, the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king they overtook him in the plains of Jericho, and all his army was scattered. So they took the king and brought him to the king and Babylon at Riblah, and they pronounced judgment on him. Then, verse 7, so that's the fulfillment so far, verse 7, they killed his sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and they put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with bronze fetters and then took him to Babylon. So his eyes were gorged out and was taken into Babylon exactly, precisely as God predicted. You find that people will love to hang on to things in the Bible. And you might even be like reading a scripture here and looking at another scripture and go, I don't know how that's going to work out. Well, even when we don't know how it's going to work out, God will work it out. He will be proven to be 100% accurate. And who would have predicted that his eyes would be gorged out at just the right precise time in order for both of those verses to be fulfilled. Powerful. If you're looking for a book, it's not in print anymore, but I think you can get it used. I've used this book for many, many, many years. It's called When Critics Ask by Norman Geisler. When Critics Ask, G-E-I-S-L-E-R. And it is a Bible difficulty book where he addresses, and it's a pretty thick one, he addresses many of the perceived contradictions. But the reason I recommend it above all the other ones, and I wish they'd put it back in print, is because not only does he give you the answer, but he helps you think through why. 
And that's an important thing. Oftentimes as believers, we aren't able to explain to someone why we believe what we believe. And we should be able to do that. We should understand not only what we believe, but why we believe it. Why do we believe the Bible is so important and accurate today? And you'll recall in a few studies ago, you know, I don't know how far back you'd have to go, I taught you how to remember four key parts of why the Bible is, the Bible in your hand is an accurate English translation to the very manuscripts that we don't have. We only have uh, the very autographs that we don't have. We have manuscripts, which are copies of copies. We have many manuscripts today. Remember, I taught you four things, and I taught you to remember it by thinking of your Bible. And in the back of a Bible, there are maps, right? In most of our Bibles, we have maps. And just remember the word maps, and it, makes, it helps you remember three things. We believe the Bible is accurate today because of the evidence of manuscripts, because of the archaeological evidence that we have, the power of predictive prophecy in the Bible, and the S stands for the statistical probability of all of the manuscripts, archaeological evidence, and the predictive prophecy of all that being possible. And we went through that in depth. Um, maybe if you went to the app and you searched for it, you might be able to find it. If you can't find it, you got to wait till the next time I teach it. But it's somewhere in the Bible. And we have a lot of, somewhere I taught, I forget where I was. But I think actually there's a Bible study is why you can trust your Bible. So if you put that in, I think there's one that I titled why you can trust your Bible. And we did a couple weeks on it. You need to know why you believe. It's very important. It's very powerful. Because most people that, most people that come to you and they say, you know, I know the Bible, you can't trust the Bible. One of the first questions I ask them is simple. Have you read it? Oh, yeah, well, well, yeah, yeah, a long time ago. I read it when I was a kid. Well, what part of it can't you trust? Oh, well, I watched this show, and I had Time Magazine, and I got this email, and, well, why don't you read it, and then come back to me with a real bona fide Bible question. How about this? Why don't you read the Gospel of John? And I will answer any Bible question you have if you just read the Gospel of John. And so now you're prepared. You may, you know, you make that statement. You go, oh, Ed, you can do that. Well, I don't know every answer to everything. I might have to study something. I don't know what they're going to ask. So it's not like I know every answer to everything, and neither do you. But there are so many tools out there that you can find the answer to questions. And, and so if you just tell somebody, you know, you just meet them where they're at and go, oh, you know, read, read the Gospel of John. You're opening up to say, okay, I'll probably have to do a little bit of study with whatever question they come back with. But then you're also giving in the Bible and you're making a deal with them, right? And you know that the Gospel of John was written in order that when people read it, they might believe in Jesus Christ. So they agree, I'll answer anything. I'll find an answer for them if they read the Gospel of John. And, you know, they'll have to show me somehow that they read it. And say, what did you think of chapter 6? What did you, you think about how Jesus really... And you begin to meet them where they are. Church, one of the important things, that's why I encourage taking notes. It's not just to be note takers, but statistics say that you remember more when you write it down. And so you're just jotting down what's on your mind. You're just jotting down what stuck, sticks out to you. Jotting down a scripture that you're going to read later or something that really spoke to you. And it's not just so we can be note takers and it's not just so we can look like we're paying attention. The Holy Spirit wants to teach you. Why? So you can make an impact in this world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some people just need a deeper answer than most people. So be ready. Be ready. It's you, you can look things up and you can study. And so get that book. Order it online. I know it's, uh, if you go to Amazon through their, um, through their used book thing, they, they, there are copies available when critics ask. 
And it's a Bible difficulty book. And I didn't even look to see if this was in there. Um, but I'm sure it is. Because this is a popular way people use the Bible to kind of make you feel like, well, maybe it is. Maybe there, well, that sounds like a contradiction. And say, no, with a little bit of study, you can come up with an answer. Again, that's When Critics Ask, a popular handbook on Bible difficulties. Look for it wherever you get your books. We're on the final leg of our journey through 2 Kings, and today's message called Rise Above the Temptations can be heard again at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Listen and learn when it's most convenient, at the gym, in the car, or as you're getting ready in the morning. Just go to AboundingGraceRadio.com to learn more about that. You can also get our app. It's available on all platforms. This is another way to hear our program. Search for Ed Taylor in your favorite app store. Each month, we'd like to suggest a book that will encourage you in the Lord. And this month, it's Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. What does God look for in a leader? Well, this wonderful book will lead you to the answer. With over a million copies now sold, it stands as a proven classic for developing leadership. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your support that we're able to present this radio program on stations all across the nation. Call 877-30-GRACE, and we can help you with the ordering details. Or go to our online store at calvaryco.store. We'll finish up Second Kings next time we're together for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. See you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.